I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Rebel Radio is brought to you by the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn 5% back at Walmart Online. Games for the kids, headphones for dad, a laptop for mom, doesn't matter. You get 5% back at Walmart Online. You also earn 2% at Walmart in-store, restaurants, and travel, and 1% everywhere else. When you want all that, you need the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Capital One N.A. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. Brought to you in partnership with our friends at EDM.com. This week I have Latroit back in full effect. He was my first guest uh, we ever had almost five years ago. Um, and he was on a couple years ago. He, he flipped the script on me and interviewed me. You can go back and check out both of those if you want. So this is his third appearance and we're kicking off. Um, he was kind enough to let me kind of try out a new format. So this week we have a short episode, really catching up with Detroit since uh, since the last time he was on, he won a Grammy for his remix of Depeche Mode's You Move. Um, and we talk a little bit about what, what winning a Grammy does to you in your career and, and what all that means. He also had a song um, in an iPhone commercial last year called Nice. And um, so we, we catch up with him a little bit and we kind of preview uh, what the format is. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but we're going to come back in a few weeks with another short interview with Latroit where we kind of dig into a single topic that hopefully is interesting to both of us and maybe even interesting to you. I don't know if it's exactly a debate, but um, you'll, you'll see it. Um, anyway, let's get into it right now with Latroit. Yeah. <laughs> 
What's up, Dennis White? Thanks for doing this with me. Well, lots. Um, I'd be inclined to say you're welcome when I have any idea what we're doing here. What we're doing? Well, you, first of all, uh, you were my first guest on Rebel Radio. Very kind of you to be my guinea pig. And uh, that was so successful that now, <laughs> uh, now we're coming up on five years doing yeah. the show. And by the way, for for real, like congratulations on that—the way that you've stuck with that and actually, you and I started podcasts at the same time. Oh yeah, one of us did them every week, and the other <laughs> of us ran out of energy really pretty quickly. So I'm about three podcasts in on my show nice. in the past nine months. Nice, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, how do this is a real question so how do you do that how do you um we're here for me to ask questions uh no uh how do you do it you, you just do it you just wake up every day and you have more shit to do than you can handle and you just kind of power through it yeah the podcast for me is like i'm with you on that program yeah the wake up and have too much shit to do and then what always never gets done. Hey, Ruben, how many times is podcast in all caps in bold and exclamation marks in our to-do lists? One too many. Relative to, you know, how many yeah. times it actually gets done. That's the one thing that just didn't get to it. The one thing someone's not nagging me for was the podcast. And I think that's kind of what I'm asking. So you live in, you know, you work and thrive in a client sort of. Right demands yeah. or have to do somebody's telling you you need to do something for sure um but yeah, yeah i think you know uh to answer like part of it is you know i sit there late at night and i, and I do shit right before i go to bed i edit a episode or you know transcript or i you know reach out to somebody to to book them on a show whatever um so i make use I, you know i just work hours that i maybe otherwise wouldn't be working yeah okay um and then part of it is that i um you know yeah sometimes you have too much to do and then i kind of ask myself well did you want to have a podcast or not hmm. and because if you don't then let's just stop and there's other things to do with our time and uh but you know i do this people have heard me talk about this like i do this because i want to do it there's no one making me and that's actually what makes me want to do it is that nobody mm. is making me do it. Well, it's what neat, what's neat for me having seen you starting this and stick with it as long as now I'm starting to hear about it out in the wild. Yeah. People are referencing it or I'll yeah. just see it out in the wild. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's, that's cool. So congratulations for real. That's great. Thanks. So uh, we should catch up on you because, you know, we had you on five years ago. We had you on, uh, I want to say it was two years ago, but you asked me most of the questions. Anybody that wants to go back in the archives can check those out. Um, but uh, I think you've done some stuff since the last time we talked about it. Uh, I know you won a Grammy. Yeah, that happened uh, in 2018. That was cool. Yeah, for Best Remix, which was awesome. Yeah, for Depeche Mode. Um, I was thinking about that a little bit and I know, you know, we talk about it sometimes as friends, how, what does it mean to win a Grammy award? Uh, what, meaning what, what does it do for you in your career? Uh, and especially, you know, you're a couple decades into your career 
And I, I have to imagine, you know, that's what it means today is very different from, you know, what it means uh, to somebody starting out. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So for me, that it felt like uh, it, it, it took me a little while to sift through what it actually felt like because yeah. it's just kind of a, an unlikely surreal thing sure. to happen. Yeah, of course. Right? I feel like, you know, there's this theory of quantum physics, which is basically that everything that's possible to be happening right now is happening on some layer of some universe. Right. Right. So I, I just feel like uh, I feel like all five nominees won at the same time, and we all just went to our own little layer of the universe. And mm -hmm. I, I, luckily, I won a Grammy, but unfortunately, Trump was president in that same layer. I'm not sure that that was an even trade for the sure. for the world. Uh, I'd take it. I mean, because both of those things five years ago would have been equally unlikely. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, everybody, about that. Um, you know, it felt in that I did something that, uh, you know, something happened. Yeah. Right. Like I, I went, I went into music and then I made music and then it was noticed that it felt like that. Yeah. That was good. What happens, you know, speaking candidly, cause I know the kind of people that are going to listen to this show. Um, the, the, the first wave of opportunity that came at me and I think comes at most people after they win a Grammy is the stuff where the Grammy uh, works out for them, which is why that first wave of stuff comes, which is the stuff probably not to jump at to mm -hmm. do. And so I didn't really take anything after that. Like the first batch of stuff that came at me, I didn't really take very much of that. And um, what I what it does offer you though is an opportunity to figure out how you want to aim that and where you want to aim it so for me it wasn't i wasn't jumping around trying to do more dance remixes but what i was trying to do was more production work in the tv and film space and in trailers and i had been remixing for trailers for a little while mm -hmm. and not like a grammy nod is gonna make somebody in the trailer world think that this guy has any idea what he's doing but it does you know, it may lend the perception of some kind of cultural relevance to or some idea that I might not know what, what I'm doing. Yeah. And so that's where I aimed it. So, you know, I think the first kind of remix that I did, it was a remix Grammy that I wanted. The first remix that I did was for Rock Nation for an artist called Dorothy. And I did that with Ruben Sears, who's a music supervisor. And we did a trailer remix for that. And we, you know, it was, um, it was a great song called Ain't Our Time to Die, and Dorothy is a great band, and Dorothy is also the name of the singer, and she's mm -hmm. got an incredible voice. We landed um, like an Ubisoft uh, video game, Tom Clancy Division Two mm -hmm. trailer, and then uh, the Amazon NFL playoff campaign, cool. and uh, did well with that. So we're doing more in that space, and that's the very long, boring answer for what happens after that, or what happened to me anyway. No, I, mean, I don't think it's boring. I think it's, um, you know, it's not. Obviously, it's a big deal in your career when you're when you're recognized, you know, uh, in a certain way, and it's not always obvious who, how to leverage that, mm -hmm. like where that goes from there, 
right? And and especially you know with someone like you who has this varied career, where you make your own music, you make you know music for film and TV, you work with other artists, you have you know you have multiple businesses essentially that you're running, like a lot of us do. And uh, so how you leverage the the progress that you make is not inconsequential, right? It takes some work to kind of figure out. Well, yeah, you know, to quote, do do to quote our friend Ethan Bear at Create, hmm. when we were talking about my career and, you know, kind of this subject, um, he, he said, really, what, what you are, either what you are, or what you're trying to be or pres you know, present yourself as is sort of like an expert in your field. Mm -hmm. Just bundle up all the stuff that you yeah, do sure. into one singular thing. So it definitely helped with that because, again, to, to your point, you know, people may or may not know, right? So I, I try, I have an artist project called Latroit, and that's pretty straight up club music in that lane. I try to keep that pure for that, and that's yeah. a lot of fun. But I do, I have collaborations with an artist named Charles and with Liam Taylor and with Sullivan King, and, and we do a lot of TV and film stuff together. And I like working with brands, and I'm speaking with a brand in Belize about a music initiative. And I, if I'm if I'm honest, just the word you know Grammy Award winner sure. just takes care of like it takes care of a lot. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's been very handy for that. I yeah. To say. Rebel Radio is brought to you by HoneyBook. You know HoneyBook's probably the perfect sponsor for this show. If you know me. You know, I've had a small business, Rebel Radio, now for 20 years. And so I've learned a lot of the challenges uh, that come with running uh, any type of creative company. The main one being there's just always too much to do. If you're a small business owner, you're handling the administration work, the creative work, the stuff you love, the stuff you don't love, it all has to get done. HoneyBook is an all-in-one business management platform for creative businesses specifically that lets you streamline your process and manage all of that stuff in one place. Invoices, contracts, proposals, uh, calendar management. It lets you do more faster so that you can focus on the stuff you really want to do. It will definitely save you time. So we've partnered with HoneyBook.com to offer Rebel Radio listeners 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with the promo code REBEL. Get started at HoneyBook.com today and use the promo code REBEL for 50% off your first year. Again, that's HoneyBook.com, promo code REBEL. Um, so before we go into my stuff, we should also talk about... Um, you made a song uh, back in the day under a different name, Static Revenger. Mm -hmm. Uh, called Happy People. Yeah. It's one of my favorite house songs of all time. Thank you. I love that record. And, you know, I hate to qualify, like, I love the song. Um, but I also just notice about myself that um, I don't know how to compare. Like, you know, people talk about their top five bands or MCs of all time or their, you know, like, I, I've never known how to do that. And uh, so I tend to kind of categorize things. Because, you know, I love happy people. Um, I wouldn't know how to rank it against an Ice Cube song or a Led Zeppelin song or some other stuff that I love, you know. And uh, so, you know, I've always struggled. Struggle is not the, really the right word because I actually don't care. But, um, <laughs> but I've never been able to create a unifying theory of music for myself. Yeah. 
I can tell you what kind of books I like and don't. I can tell you what kind of movies I like and don't, with few exceptions. That's interesting. Music, I'm just all over the place. Yeah. And uh, how's that for you? Well, I, I don't know how that is for me, but I think what it is for different people like yourself like so to be super name droppy and sorry but since we're talking about this song fat boy slim charted happy people is like one of his top 10 yeah songs that he liked or that worked for him um and you're saying that that's a thing that you remember and that you like all right so you guys have different relationships you like the song in kind of the same way but for different reasons he would probably like it because he played it and he saw that it worked and it gave a lot of people. Sure. It just worked for him in those moments and those moments felt good to him. And so that's something that I remember. Now with you, because I know you not to be a club kid. Mm -hmm. I've never seen you on a dance floor. I've seen you in a lot of clubs. There must have been something going on around that period of time that had more to do with how the song felt to you, even in ways that you don't really remember. Yeah, sure. like I yeah. have this, what I've noticed along the way about being nice or trying to be generous or trying to help people out or whatever is you got to do that without expecting anything immediately back or expecting people are going to remember it because usually they don't. But, but over a period of time, it informs their general sense of you. Okay. I don't really remember why. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, you don't remember why you might enjoy hanging out or talking to me or if you think I'm an okay dude or not. You might not be able to hit the nail on the head for all the reasons. But it's an overall sense you have. And same about people that we don't like. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the exact thing. I just don't like them. You know? Right. It's, uh, I don't think that, it, you know, the hi-hats in that song were particularly special. Right? I don't think there's anything yeah, that sure. you could reverse engineer it to musically. Right. Oh, the way that he turned that filter over eight bars. Woo! Right. Unpre unprecedented. You know. It's funny. I was just listening on my way here to an interview with Sean Penn. And he, he had a book out that was a bestseller. Uh, and he was talking about the book. And, he, and the guy was asking him about his uh, other books that he loves kind of thing. And he was like, you know, I remember the tune, not the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, me too, actually. That's and I'm very much that. like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to me, it's all about how it makes me feel. And some of that has to do with where I was when I discovered it, either in that very moment or just more broadly in life. It, you know, certain songs mean something to me because of who I was and what whatever was happening at the time. I would say a disproportionate number of people that remember happy people fondly uh, do so because they were on drugs the first time that they heard it. Sure. And yeah. they just remember feeling, you know, I mean, there's no yeah, way. Yeah, it takes you back. Sure. And Listening that's to that actually... song in the car is not going to live up to that experience, to the point of David Byrne and how music works when he was right. writing about, and you told me to listen to that, read mm -hmm. that book. That's a great book. Yeah, uh, it is. So, so to the point that he made about the way that we create music for the spaces that they're in. It's not even that we do it on purpose. It's just kind of the way that it plays out. You can't help it. Uh, right. So, yeah, that song on drugs in London, the month it came out, is a, probably a different experience than listening to it in the car driving around. Sure. Unless you heard it the first time at the club in London. You know? I don't know where I heard it the first time. I think you should play it for probably, me. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, What's your favorite? Tell me one of your favorite house songs. Um, I'm not here to say it's my favorite house song. It's just the one that I thought of when you said that. Okay. Because it's, it's it's of the era that we're talking get about. It and um, just won't do Tim Lillix and Sam Obernick and her vocal on that. Uh, I don't know. 
No, it's great. It's record. the one I thought of right now. It's just a great. It's a great record. If you're enjoying this one, you should definitely go back and listen to our first interview with with Latroyd. At the time, uh, he was going by Static Revenger. That, like I said, was our first episode ever. Definitely worth checking out if you want to hear more about his story. Um, okay, and then uh, so we we now have this format. We do a little lightning round at the end. Uh, I don't even though you've been on twice. I don't think we've done it with you. So. Uh, what's your favorite city to travel to? Barcelona. Yeah, you've been telling me about Barcelona for 20 years and I still haven't made it. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? I think yeah. I'm going to go at the end kind of, of March. March. Uh, sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite DJ? I don't have a favorite DJ. I remember a couple of huge... DJ moments like Fatboy Slim is a favorite DJ of mine. Yeah, um, but that's just for Fatboy Slim. He's a hero of mine, and I've seen him play amazing sets. So let me just say that um, I've seen Derek May turn a crowd of bored auto workers at a very poorly booked outdoor performance venue festival thing in a parking lot in Detroit. I saw Derek May turn. 50 angry and bored auto workers into a frothing mess of enthusiasm over the period of an hour and I'd never seen anything like that that was pretty amazing that's cool uh, and I used to think that I DJ'd until I saw Jazzy Jeff with you mm. wherever we saw him in LA 10 to 12 years ago yeah um, that was uh, I've never seen anything like that, the way he was beat juggling, but you only knew that if you were watching him because mm-hmm. it was a flawless experience mm-hmm. on the dance floor. And then I saw David Rodigan with you. Well, I hadn't seen a set like that. I'd never seen a proper Jamaican set, and certainly to see one with David Rodigan in Dublin when I saw it with you when we first met was pretty great. That was a fantastic night. Um, those are great answers. What's the last great book you read? I think I'm still... Blink. <laughs> That's an in-joke, everybody. I was shooting off my mouth about how Blink changed my life and how important it was to my decision-making process and blah, blah, blah. And and Josh was like, yeah, that's been debunked by about 20 people over the last uh, decade and a half. And uh, it turns out he was right. And so Malcolm Gladwell owes me like 15 years of my life back. No, Malcolm Gladwell's a genius. I keep telling you. Yeah, he's a genius. Okay, that's fine. That's that's fine. Yeah, what I my takeaway from Blink that clearly ruined my life was every dumb impulse I had was as much information as I needed to charge ahead with whatever my dumb idea was. Thanks, Malcolm. Yeah, that's a that's um, a logical fallacy. Yeah, turns that, out uh, that I've I am the empirical about. data for that. But it's great. Um, so yeah, so you know, I'm a I'm a Gladwell fan because I think he tells great stories and he gets a lot of people interested in shit that's worth being interested in. He also like glosses over a lot of factual uh uh, uh errors in service of the story. Most but, famously the 10,000 hour premise. Well, yeah, that's think, one. That was the first thing that sort of was the the, the crack in the veneer of right. him knowing what he's talking about all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the 10,000 hour thing is not accurate. And if you, uh, write me a note, I'll point you to the podcast where someone interviews the guy that came up with 
that is credited with that theory, and he tells the true story behind it. Um, is that like nine thousand nine hundred hours, or I don't want to go into all that. Yeah, good. Uh, no math on today's show. Simon Napier Bell wrote a book called Ta Ra Ra Boom Die. It was okay. a history of the music business. Oh, that wow. is by far one of my favorite books of all time. Really? Yeah. And nice. I'm, I'm still, I read it often. Yeah. I read books that I like the way we might listen to songs that we like kind of. Yeah, that's over, cool. Over and over. That is an outstanding book. And anybody in the music business who hasn't read that book will enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Huh. I've never read it, so I'm going to check it out. What movie have you seen the most in your life? Yeah. Uh, Equal bits, Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Star Wars 1, Star Wars 2, Snatch, Blade Runner, the second Blade Runner. We're coming up on that soon. And, um, oh, 2001. Yeah, I've seen those All movies. great movies. A hundred times each. Wow. Yeah. Again, to the point of, like, I'll, I'll watch movies the way a lot of us will listen to songs. Sure. Just over and over and over. Because every five seconds in a movie represents dozens of people working at the height of their game, trying really, really hard. My brother, who was making films or directing commercials, pointed that out to me. Mm. Every single frame. You know, I was watching Joker recently, and you know, he's walking up the stairs. So it's either him walking up the stairs, or you tune in to the lighting and to the mm -hmm. stuff that was happening with the CGI and the graffiti and the, what was happening with the wardrobe and how he's walking and how it's being shot. All of that shit is happening within two seconds. And that's every frame of a movie. So yeah, I can watch movies a lot. So... In this Sean Penn interview, he tells a story. He put this book out. It got a lot. It it sold really well. Got some great reviews. Also, a ton of bad reviews, and a lot of just people. There's just a lot of hate for Sean Penn out there, um, and so uh, he took out a full page ad in the New York Times and the Washington Post with all the bad reviews. <laughs> That's cool. And uh, then he put up a website to link you to the good reviews if you want to find those or whatever. But I thought that was uh, an amazing thing to do. That's so punk rock. I That's love great. that. Yeah. And um, and so Norman Lear was asking him about that, and he said, you know, when I make a movie and it gets shit on, all I think about is the whole crew that worked their asses off and are so proud of the work they did. Wow. And people are shitting on the movie, usually because they're mad at me or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's like, I wrote this book myself. I I own it. If you don't like it, great. You know, I'm fine with that. Um, so that he said the bad reviews don't bother him at all. That's that's amazing. That's great. And it's interesting you say that about uh, Norman Lear because um, that's what makes mediocre movies that I know I'm going to have to make it through. Mm. Uh, I can find something that I to pay. My brother also pointed that out. Somebody tried really hard on the lighting. Sure. Just. Pay attention. Somebody tried hard at something. Ignore the dialogue. Yeah. And, you know, look what's around. That's interesting. Now, that was Dennis White, a.k.a. Latroit, on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Um, love to know what you think of the short format. If you want to leave us a comment or hit us on Twitter, it's at Rebel Radio Net. You can do the same on Facebook. Um, you could send me a letter if you know my address. Uh, most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.